We've got some children that are going to go out toward the back now for Children's Church. Mr. Ken and some others will be there to uh, take you downstairs. So we'll pray for them as they go. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we can remember. Remember those who have given so much for us to be able to be here today. And thank you, Lord, that we live in a country that has a weekend like this devoted to giving thanks and having a heart of gratitude for those who have sacrificed their very lives for freedom, the freedom to assemble, the freedom to believe, the freedom to share, the freedom to speak, all the freedoms we enjoy, bought, guaranteed, paid for by the blood of those who are willing to lay down their lives down through more than 200 years of history. Lord, we thank you that we can use that freedom to do what you have called us to do, and that is to share your love with this country and throughout the world. And so we pray your continued blessings on our nation, and we pray that you'll help us as Christians in this country to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth, that we might do all that we can for people to come to know you. We pray you'll bless our children in Children's Church and those who lead them. Give them a great time together learning about your love and your grace. And here in this sanctuary, now as we open the Bible, we pray that you'll lead us and draw us to yourself. And if there are any decisions, Lord, that need to be made here today, people who need to give their life to you or they need to follow you in some other way that you are calling them to do so. We pray that you will just lay it on their hearts, and may your will be done. We commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's open our Bibles to Isaiah 49 for a few moments. Isaiah 49, and we read together the verse 16 earlier, and I'm going to read the passage beginning at chapter 49, verse 8, up through verse 16. And realize that the setting of this uh, chapter is the people of Israel, the northern ten tribes, were carried away into captivity back in about 722 B.C. by the Assyrians. And that left the southern kingdom, uh, Judah and Benjamin, those tribes. And they were carried away into captivity by the Babylonians in 586 or 587 B.C. And so the setting here is that they're in captivity. And God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah about a coming time when he would bring those tribes, those two tribes of the southern kingdom, back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls there. The people, though, felt like they'd been abandoned by God. They had been rebellious, the vast majority of the people, and God allowed them to be destroyed and carried away into captivity. Not because he didn't love them, but because he wanted them to understand that there's only one God, and he is worthy of our full devotion. And so he had got their attention and God sometimes gets our attention through hard situations, hard moments in life. And he can take those things and use them for good. And so as we read this passage, you're going to see that Isaiah, God was using Isaiah to talk about 
a coming return. And in that context, he makes this great statement that we read together earlier. Look at chapter 49, verse 8. Thus says the Lord, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages, that you may say to the prisoners, go forth, to those who are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed along the roads, and their pastures shall be on all desolate heights. They shall neither hunger nor thirst, neither heat nor sun shall strike them, for he who has mercy on them will lead them. Even by the springs of water, he will guide them. I will make each of my mountains a road, and my highways shall be elevated. Surely these shall come from afar. Look, those from the north and the west, and these from the land of Sinim. Sing, O heavens, be joyful, O earth, and break out in singing, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have mercy on his afflicted. But Zion says, Zion often referring to Jerusalem, but Zion says, the Lord has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Engraved in our memory. This passage made me think about how on this Memorial Day weekend every year, we remember, we look back, we remember those who have given so much given their lives for our freedom. Some of you could stand and you could literally call out the names of people you know who died in service to our country. And you know their literal names. There are so many names. U.S. war dead for all the wars of our country, 1,354,600 and 64, 1.3 million plus names. And every one of them had a mom and a dad and a family who loved them. In some of our more recent wars, World War I, 116,516 people. World War II, 405,399 dead The Korean War, 36,516. The Vietnam War, 58,209. The Gulf War, 294. The Iraq War, 4,497. And Afghanistan, 2,216. Those are numbers, but they're also names, aren't they? Every single one of them was a, was a person, a life given 
many of them, most of them, very young. And so engraved in our national memory are these people, these heroes, these patriots who were ordinary citizens but who went and laid down their lives that we might have freedom. And I'm thankful that we have a nation that wants to remember. Now, I'm not sure everybody does. A lot of people perhaps don't. Memorial Day weekend is not just a time. There's nothing wrong with getting together with family and enjoying family and being together, but we need to remember what this weekend is really for, and that is to be grateful and remember and honor those who have given so much. If liberty means anything to me, wrote one poet, I will remember what my freedom cost by those who gave their all to keep me free, whose lives were sacrificed but never lost. I will remind myself of what they did and keep them dearly cherished in my heart. Their honor never from me shall be hid, and I will know they always did their part to save our nation and its people here to pledge their lives in defense of our ways, to show that freedom always outlives fear, and sacrifice is hallowed all our days. If liberty means anything to me, I will remember those who kept me free. I will remember those who kept me free. This nation has been used for such good. I don't think that's hurt enough. I was struck seeing that President Trump is in Japan with the leader of Japan, the prime minister there. Think about that for a moment. World War II, enemies, so many people dead. And when that war came to a close, what did we do as a country? Did we colonize those places? Did we take from them? No, we gave. We rebuilt them. And now we're friends. The heart of this country is a very unique heart. Like no other nation in the world. And that's because this country was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. That's what makes the difference. And that difference must be maintained and we are the people who will maintain it. The people who believe in God and who love Jesus Christ. Who have made this country by those principles what it is. And we must never back down from those principles. So that our nation will continue to not only be great. But will always be good. What a nation. And these people who have laid down their lives, they didn't just fight on the shores of America to defend home and family. They went to other parts of the world and were willing to lay down their lives, not only for our people, but for people they didn't even know. So that other people could be free too. There is no other example in all of history of a nation again and again that has been willing to do that. And so I hope as Christians in this country that we'll do all that we can to hold high our faith in Jesus Christ, 
that has made this nation so very different. These are engraved in our memory. But in the passage we read, we also see that your name, or you, even more than your name, you are engraved on the hands of someone very special. After God repeats what some had said among the people of Israel carried away into captivity, God has forgotten us. Where is God? God's response was, can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? And then God said, yet I will not forget you. They may forget. See, they had forgotten God. That's why they were in captivity. But God said, I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you. <coughs> I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls, meaning the walls that had been destroyed, are continually before me. God had not forgotten his people. And you know what? God has not forgotten you. You are engraved on the palms of his hands. How had God not forgotten them? Well, all through their history, he had not forgotten the people of Israel, his people. He had delivered them, hadn't he? And Deuteronomy 32, 7, he had reminded them, remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you. Thy elders and they will tell you about how God had delivered them and brought them out of Egypt. God had, had, had done mighty things to deliver them. And just as they were not to forget that God had delivered them, we as God's people should never forget how God, how God has delivered us, has done so much for us, not only as a nation, but individually. Look at what he's done to deliver us. And then also, God had guided them. And the passage we read, it mentions the fact that God would not only deliver them from captivity, but he would guide them back to where he wanted them to be. God is that kind of a God, isn't he? He has engraved us on his hands. He doesn't forget us. So no matter what your situation and where you are or have been in life, God loves you. He hasn't forgotten you. You may feel like Israel did. You may be saying, well, where is God? God hasn't gone anywhere. God loves you. And he has a plan for your life just as surely as he had a plan for Israel. He has a plan for your life. Because when you receive Christ into your life, you become a part of the family of God. You are the people of God. We are the people of God. And he has a wonderful plan for each one of us. God's guiding hand is there and always will be. And his provision, he provided for them again and again when they were in the wilderness, after they were brought out of Egypt and crossed over into the wilderness. 
God provided for them. Even when they rebelled and they had to wander in that wilderness for 40 years, God provided for their basic needs. We must remember how God provides. And these people that we remember this weekend who gave their lives for us down through all the generations in our country, that's one way that God has provided for us. He's provided for us through them. And he will, he will provide for the next generation through our lives, through us. For some, it may mean to lay down their lives in military service, but it may also mean you laying down your life every day as you live for Jesus Christ and do what he's called you to do so that others may come to know him and this nation continue to be free and a nation that upholds the name of God. God provides. He always has and he will. We must remember that. Remembering makes us humble. It makes us realize that we are not the center of the universe. It makes us remember that there's been a lot of sacrifice for us to be where we are today. It makes us grateful. Grateful for people. Grateful for God. Grateful for our history that some people want to discard and forget. Remembering gives us direction. Because if we know where we have been and where we have come from, it helps us to know where God wants us to go and how to get there. Remembering makes us learners, always wanting to know more, always open to what God is doing today, that he hasn't just done something in the past, he's doing something now, and he wants to do something in your life and through your life to be a blessing to this world. And remembering leads us to the God of our fathers, the God that brought people to this country before it was a country, just looking for a place where they could worship God in spirit and in truth, without fear, without being arrested, without being persecuted. Remembering leads us to where those people wanted to go and where really we all need to go. It was gratitude that prompted a, an old man you may have heard about this man, Eddie Rickenbacker. It led him as an old man to visit a broken down pier on the eastern seacoast of Florida every Friday night until his death in 1973. He would return, walking slowly and slightly stooped with a large bucket of shrimp. The seagulls would flock to this old man and he would feed them from his bucket. Many years before, in October of 1942, Captain Eddie Rickenbacker was on a mission in a B-17 to deliver an important message to General Douglas MacArthur in New Guinea. But there was an unexpected detour that would hurl Captain Eddie into the most harrowing adventure of his life. Somewhere over the South Pacific, the Flying Fortress became lost beyond the reach of radio contact. Fuel ran dangerously low, and so they had to ditch the plane in the ocean. For nearly a month, Captain Eddie and his companions would fight the water, 
and the weather and the scorching sun. They spent many sleepless nights recoiling as giant sharks rammed their rafts. The largest raft was nine by five. The biggest shark was ten feet long. But of all their enemies at sea, Eddie said one proved the most formidable, starvation. Eight days out, their rations were gone or destroyed by, sea, by salt water. It would take a miracle to sustain them, and a miracle happened. In Captain Eddie's own words, Cherry, that was the B-17 pilot, Captain William Cherry, read the service that afternoon, and we finished with a prayer for deliverance and sang a hymn of praise. There was some talk, but it tapered off in the oppressive heat. With my hat pulled down over my eyes to keep out some of the glare, I dozed off. And then Captain Rickenbacker said, something landed on my head. I knew it was a seagull. I don't know how I knew, I just knew. Everyone else knew too. No one said a word. But peering out from under my hat brim without moving my head, I could see the expression on their faces. They were staring at that seagull. The goal meant food, if I could catch it. And the rest, as they say, is history. Captain Eddie caught the seagull. Its flesh was eaten. Its intestines were used for bait to catch fish. The survivors were sustained and their hopes renewed because a lone seagull, uncharacteristically hundreds of miles from land, offered itself as a sacrifice. You know that Captain Eddie made it, and now you also know that he never forgot. He remembered. Because every Friday evening, about sunset, on a lonely stretch along the eastern seacoast of Florida, you could see an old man walking, white-haired, bushy-eyebrowed, slightly bent, his bucket filled with shrimp, was to feed the gulls, to remember the one which on a long day past gave itself without a struggle, like manna in the wilderness. Remembering. Captain Eddie remembered his whole life, remembered a seagull, Surely we should remember people who gave their lives for us. And just as we have those people engraved in our national memory, don't forget that God has you engraved on the palms of his hands. Now what does that mean? Is that figurative or is it literal? It's literal. Because hundreds of years after Isaiah, there came a Savior named Jesus. And what did he do? He laid down his life for you. He gave his life for us. He was a long way from home, a long way from heaven to this earth filled with sin and darkness. But he came to save us. And he gave his life for us. 
And when he rose from the dead and he stood before his disciples, what did he say to them? What did he say to Thomas especially? Look at my hands. See the nail prints in my hands. You see, when God said, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands, he knew that Jesus would come. And in the, the hands of Jesus, those nail prints, the risen Christ, they're still there. And they'll always be there. You are inscribed. I am inscribed on the palms of God's hands because he loves you. Engraved in our memory are those who have given their lives for us. But praise be to God, we are inscribed on the very hands of God. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord, thank you for your love. It's so great. It's overwhelming to think about how we have been blessed. Blessed as a people, as a nation. And then each and every one of us blessed by your saving power, your love and grace, what Jesus has done for each of us. Lord, there may be someone here today who needs to know that you love them. And we pray that that has been impressed upon them by your spirit, that they can see in their mind's eye the hands of Jesus open wide to receive them with their life engraved on his hands. We thank you, Lord, that you will hear anyone who calls on your name. You will forgive. You will give life everlasting. You will restore whatever you decide and desire in these moments. We pray that it will be done in each person here. As we have this time of invitation now, Lord, we pray you lead us. And if we sense your leading, help us not to turn away, but to follow you. And we know that as we follow you, there's no better place to be than in the center of your will. Thank you. We praise you and thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing our invitation hymn. I'm going to be standing up front to receive you, to pray with you. If God has laid a decision on your heart, it may be to unite with this church. Perhaps God has led you here and you need a church home. Or to come and pray with someone about receiving Jesus into your life. I will pray with you. I will help you. You do whatever God has asked you to do in these moments. And we'll rejoice together in what he does as we sing together.